Welcome to USURF Spotlight, a new series by the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, where we discuss major topics and issues in the news and explore how those issues are impacting religious freedom around the globe. Here is USURF Director of Outreach and Policy, Dwight Bashir, leading this week's discussion. Welcome to USURF Spotlight. Today, we're going to talk about Sudan, a country going through tremendous change. And specifically, we're going to talk about the concrete steps Sudan's transitional government has taken uh, to advance religious freedom in the country, as well as the challenges the government continues to face. Sudan has been in the news most recently with the announcement by the United States government of its intent to remove the country from the list of state sponsors of terrorism. We're going to learn more about how this move could impact religious freedom conditions in the country. But let me start by saying how far Sudan has come in such a short time. Just early last year, Sudan was still run by then President Omar al-Bashir, who had been wanted for a decade on charges of genocide and crimes against humanity against his own people. After months of protests in early 2019, the Sudanese people overthrew al-Bashir in April and a transitional government was formed by August. Almost immediately, this transitional government started implementing a range of democratic reforms and rescinded a series of policies from the previous regime. In December of last year, Prime Minister Abdullah Hamdak and his delegation visited Washington, D.C. and met with us at USURF to discuss his government's commitment to advance freedom of religion or belief for all Sudanese people. A few months, few months later, I was part of a USURF delegation that visited Sudan in late February, just before the pandemic emerged. And we were very encouraged by the progress that the transitional government had made and was still working on a series of reforms to advance religious freedom. Today, we're fortunate to have USURF policy analyst and East Africa specialist Mohi Omer to walk us through the progress Sudan has made on a number of reforms and also talk about what still needs to be done. Welcome, Mohi. Thank you, Dewey. It's great to be here. Uh, absolutely. Within one year of assuming power, the transitional government has taken concrete steps to advance human rights issues as well as religious freedom in Sudan. For example, in December of 2019, the transitional government repealed the repressive public order law that the former regime used systematically to oppress individuals who did not confirm to its very interpretation of Sunni Islam. In addition to that, the transitional government designated December 25th as a national holiday so that the Christian community in Sudan can celebrate Christmas. Also, the Sudanese uh, transitional government appointed a Christian Coptic woman to the Sovereign Council, which is charged with overseeing the transitional period of three years. In May of this year, the transitional government issued a decree resolving former regime appointed council of churches that the regime, the former regime of al-Bashir systematically used to oppress Christians in Sudan and justify its oppression of Christians in Sudan. In a live TV interview, the Minister of Religious uh, Affairs called on Jews of Sudan to return to Sudan as now there is a government in place that can protect their uh, right to practice their religion. This is a huge progress. And most importantly, and most recently in July of this year, 
the government passed a great news, which is uh, the Miscellaneous Amendment Act. Basically, that act repealed the apostasy law. Sudan, as you know, is one of the countries that had this apostasy law, which punishes uh, individuals who change their religions or denounce Islam by death. And in addition to that, the, the law ended flogging. The law banned the practice of female genital mutilation, FGM, also permitted Muslims to drink, non-Muslims to drink alcohol. In addition to that, it abolished the guardianship law, which required women to get a permit from a male guardian when traveling outside of the country with their, with their kids. Uh, finally, in all of this progress actually triggered, and as a consequences of this reform, Yusuf earlier in, in this year, in our report uh, of 2019, we included that, <clears throat> excuse me, to the State Department to take Sudan off the list of the countries of particular concern, which are engaged in systematic, ongoing, and egregious violation of religious freedom. So as you can see, Sudan has made huge progress, and we hope to see the country continues in this uh, direction. Yeah, thank you for that uh, rundown. That's quite a list of things, because uh, I recall years ago, Sudan being one of the worst situations for religious freedom in the world. And in such a short time, they've repealed laws, they've changed policies, they've They've brought in their religious minorities, uh, you know, into the fray, it seems. But just last week, uh, as you know, the U.S. government announced that the uh, U.S. intends to remove Sudan from the list of state sponsors of terrorism uh, as soon as Sudan deposits a payment of $335 million in compensation to victims and their families for the terrorist attacks on U.S. embassies in Kenya and Tanzania in 1998. Mohi, tell me, how, how do you think the removal of Sudan from this list will impact religious freedom in, in the country, if at all? Absolutely. So the very reason why Sudan was on the list is because of the act of the previous regime, which basically engaged in terrorist activities, not only in the region, even beyond the region. So the removal of the country from this list will certainly have huge impact on religious freedom issues and human rights issues in general, and then including uh, religious freedom issues. So for example, Sudan will have access to the international uh, financial institutions, such as the World Bank, the IMF, to borrow money to address its ailing economy right now. Inflation rate in Sudan is about 200% at the moment because the economy is just collapsing. So removing the country would allow Sudan to access these international institutions to address its economic needs. In addition to that, this will also allow the US government legally to provide financial and technical assistance through the transitional government to implement projects and programs that enhance human rights issues, including religious freedom. Uh, because Sudan is on the list, the U.S. is not able to legally do that. The U.S. can only provide humanitarian assistance to Sudan and not to the Sudanese government as Sudan is listed as a country of, uh, as an SST country. So finally, this would also qualify Sudan to be forgiven for its $60 billion debt. This is, a, this, is, this is a developing country that has $60 billion 
of debt. So removing the country from the list would also allow Sudan to begin the process of uh, debt forgiveness. So all of that put together would definitely help to enhance religious freedom issues in Sudan. As you know, uh, the way this year in our annual report, we explicitly mentioned that the U.S. government provides technical financial assistance to the Ministry of uh, Religious Affairs, as well as Ministry of Education to implement projects that enhance religious freedom issues. So all of that would be packaged under uh, U.S. assistance to Sudan. Yeah, very, uh, very insightful. Thank you, Mohi. Uh, this past week, also another development, Sudan hosted a regional international religious freedom roundtable in Khartoum, something unthinkable just a year or so ago. Uh, and, and this is the kind of thing where uh, different communities get together and talk about how they can advance freedom of religion for all. Um, tell me, how are religious minorities in Sudan empowered by this development? And how have conditions improved for majority Muslims and also uh, the religious minorities over the past year or so? Absolutely. The way this is a huge step, as you know, this is not only unthinkable, this is impossible, not too long ago. And today we, we've seen the transitional government's willingness to host international conferences to address human rights issues as well as religious freedom issues. So as you know, there is a considerable religious minority groups in Sudan, including Christians, adherents of African traditional religions, Baha'is, non-believers, Jews, and Hindus in Sudan. So not only religious uh, minorities of other religions, but also Muslims who don't conform with the majority interpretation of Islam. For example, you have the Republican Party, which was founded by uh, Mahmoud Muhammad Taha, who was accused of apostasy and killed in the early 80s. And he is a Muslim. He has a different interpretation of the religion. And he has a huge followers, you know, in, in Sudan. So all of that should be respected. So the round table that just took place this week in Sudan was, was a great opportunity for this minority uh, groups to come together to discuss how they could collectively advance religious freedom issues in Sudan. At the end of the conference, uh, the, the, the participants came together and signed the Declaration of Sudan for International Religious Freedom, which aimed at advancing religious freedom issues, not only in Sudan, but in the region in general. So yes, having this conference in Sudan is certainly going to support the advancement of religious freedom, not only in Sudan, but also in the surrounding areas, because it's not just for Sudanese, it's, it, it's a regional conference that brought together people from outside of Sudan as well. You know, I, never, I recall during our visit earlier this year, we attended a, a Sufi a religious ceremony, which is something that I think they were uh, very uh, grateful to be able to uh, participate in and something you wouldn't have seen in, in, in public uh, you know, during the previous regime that they were able to, to, to celebrate and observe like that. But tell me a little bit, uh, Mohi, about in Khartoum, we, we know that the city of Khartoum, uh, you know, has uh, made a series of reforms. We've, you've touched on, the, you know, the, the people that are impacted in Khartoum have seen this kind of progress. But what about some of the outer lying areas, you know, like in the Darfur, the Nuba Mountains and so on, in other parts of uh, Sudan and so on? Because it seems to me as if 
it's it's not as quick uh, to see these kinds of reforms. Can you tell me what kind of process that's going to take and, and how you see uh, the foreseeable future? Absolutely, the way uh, change takes place in the capital city of uh, Khartoum, but that needs to trickle down to different parts of the country. And I think the, the transitional government is well aware of that and preparing for that because there are considerable religious minorities that live in the peripheries, for example, in the Darfur area, the Blue Nile area, as well as the, the uh, Nuba, Mountain, Nuba Mountains area. So all of these areas have very large number, especially the Blue Nile area and the Nuba Mountains area. They have a huge number of religious minorities living there. So I think they, and they have been pushing for religious freedom issues for years. And the civil war that took place in these parts of the country, actually part of the motivation is this lack of religious freedom and violations of uh, human rights issues. So I, I think the government seems to have a plan on how to make sure that these reforms are, are implemented not only in Khartoum City, but across the country. And the good news is that the, the, government, the state governments are also formed by the transitional government, and they tend to be on the same page when it comes to enhancing uh, human rights issues, democratization, and all of that. So I, I think the Sudanese government is well aware of that, and I think they will push for change that would include all parts of Sudan. Right. That's that's very uh, helpful to know that there is. Uh there are uh, parts of the government that are on the same page throughout the country. Now let's get to our, our final uh, question, which is obviously, uh, I think, challenging on some levels about how can the U.S. government and the international community uh, more uh, broadly support the current efforts of the transitional government to ensure an enduring transition to a sustainable democracy that protects and promotes freedom of religion or belief for all Sudanese. What would be some of the things that would be vital here moving forward? Absolutely. I think the international community, as well as the U.S. government, uh, there are specific steps they can take to support the transition to, to democracy in Sudan. And I think their support should primarily focus on institutional reform efforts, specifically during this transition, the legal and judicial systems need international support to make sure that these two critical institutions are functional and effective in carrying out and protecting the process of democratization in Sudan. In addition to this institutional reform, also the international community could support with capacity building efforts. As you know, this is a nascent democracy. The country has been controlled by, uh, by a regime that is anti almost everything that democracy uh, could achieve. And for that reason, political parties and the government institutions and all of that, they are not in place to really carry this process effectively unless they receive support from the international community. So capacity building efforts and support to capacity building efforts in Sudan in general is very critical at this specific uh, time. Also supporting the process of writing a permanent constitution for Sudan. 
As you know, this is the current government is functioning under a transitional constitution that came to place after the revolution. And now there is a process to establish a permanent constitution for Sudan. The process itself is, I think it has, it has begun. It, ha, it has begun, I think, but technical support from international community, from the international community, as well as the US government would be really critical at this specific uh, period. And then after the transitional period, there will be free and fair election. And that has to take place. Otherwise, democratization is not obviously taking place in Sudan. To make sure that the process of democratization continues, there has to be a fair and free election that every qualified political party and individual participate in. And that process itself needs to be protected. And the involvement of the international community, including the U.S. government, could support to ensure that Sudan holds a free and fair election for all Sudanese people to participate and to uh, make sure that they exercise their rights. And all of that put together is critical to make sure that the international community is supporting this democracy, this nascent democracy, but very hopeful given how the transitional government is handling it and given how they are open to the international community, to the region and to the West in general. So I, I think international support is, is critical at this particular uh, moment away. Well, thank you so much. We'll have to leave it right there. Let me thank uh, USURF policy analyst Mohi Omer for his uh, insights today. You can find more information about conditions in Sudan, uh, current reform efforts that impact uh, freedom of religion or belief, and our full list of recommendations for U.S. policy towards Sudan on our website at www.usurf.gov. Thank you for tuning in today, and we'll see you next time on USURF Spotlight.